I went to Mars because I wished to live deliberately, to front only the essential facts of life and see if I could not learn what it had to teach and not, when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. Hi, I'm myself. Huh? Yeah, yeah. And uh, today I believe we are going to be listening to the squealing of belts on a Super Bowl. Smash every creep in the face with a rock. What seems to be the could have guessed by this moment I have decided in 2020 to run for president From the intergalactic After the recent death of beloved anarchist science fiction author Ursula K. Le Guin, 
a lot of opinion pieces appeared throughout the anarcho web assessing her legacy, with special focus given to her most overtly anarchist work, The Dispossessed, An Ambiguous Utopia. The novel explores, through the eyes of its scientist protagonist, Shevek, the ins and outs of a fictional anarchist communist society on a desert moon, and organized through free federations of cooperative syndicates, without markets or money of any kind, and with a general anti-authoritarian culture. As the book's subtitle indicates, it's a piece of utopian speculation on what a better society could look like, albeit one, again as the subtitle indicates, tinged with ambiguity and unafraid to point out some of the hurdles faced when trying to create a world without hierarchy, such as the potential for creeping cultural conformism and bureaucratization. What's surprising about most of these aforementioned opinion pieces is so few of them seem to bring up the long legacy of utopianism in the positive sense of the word that's core to the social anarchist tradition itself. After all, at the heart of the desire for social anarchy is an impulse towards a truly radical kind of social betterment. Social anarchy, a society without rulership, is not only an image of a world freer than any other, but one which exercises constant vigilance against any potential attempts to make it less free via the emergence of new forms of archic power. It's even more surprising, given that we now live in a time rich with possibilities for realizing the very kinds of utopias anarchists tried to dream up in the sense of utopia, good place, rather than utopia, no place, with the former referring to visions which guide social progress and the latter referring to abstract dreams which thrive on their own impossibility of being realized. Yes, there are also more dangers and obstacles than ever before. But for some reason, we can't seem to stop focusing on everything setting us back to the extent that we most often fail to examine new openings for transforming the political, economic, ideological, and cultural spheres along libertarian lines. Through a combination of socio-political and technological factors, the people of the planet are more interconnected than ever before. With this interconnectedness, providing a potential basis for a new global universalism, a world in which many worlds fit, to borrow an aphorism from the Zapatistas, in which unity is rooted in a desire for complementary diversity rather than a desire for sameness and the exclusion of others. In technology, we now have a greater capacity than ever before to eliminate human and animal toil through automation, to eliminate the use of fossil fuels in favor of ecological and decentral sources of energy to make the control and development of new technologies cooperative and participatory, benefiting the populace rather than the elite. So why is the possibility of utopia being ignored by anarchists at best and dismissed as delusional at worst? At least part of the reason may lie in a general feeling of hopelessness anarchists get upon being faced with what seem like insurmountable problems, an ever-expanding capitalist state system, a frying planet, and now a widespread turn towards cultural reaction in much of the global north and south. However, other political traditions seem to have wasted no time coming up with their own trajectories towards a better future, despite grappling with the same obstacles. Marketarians, the ones who call themselves libertarian, but aren't, devote a great deal of effort to proselytizing their vision of a fully privatized world run by tech billionaires. Liberals and neoliberals, like Steven Pinker, expound a vision called eco-modernism, which combines green capitalism with the love for technocratic centralism, which puts the professional classes in charge. More decentralism-oriented progressives like Jeremy Rifkin 
point towards a collaborative commons based on a coming internet of things, which will eventually reduce scarcity to the point of near non-existence. Even a handful of Marxists have jumped on, with eco-socialism and fully automated luxury communism being Marxist reinventions of the very things social anarchists like Peter Kropotkin and Murray Bookchin once advocated. There's no shortage of futurisms floating around the political imaginary. And while enthusiastic proponents of futurist utopianism from an anarchist perspective do exist, they are small in number and confined to a smattering of blogs, Facebook groups, and subreddits. A few proponents of Bookchin's post-scarcity anarchism here, a handful of anarcho-transhumanists there, but little in the way of overarching vision to tie them together and draw more people in. The majority of anarchists can't seem to stop devolving into mere resistance to the existing systems of domination, holding on to the dream of a world without states, capitalists, or hierarchy, as little more than a spectral happy place to retreat to when the realities of oppression, exploitation, war, and ecocide become too much to bear. While social anarchist thought was once overflowing with inspiring and inspired images of the future, both in its classical and new left periods, it seems to lack most of that inspiration today. Most of the major social anarchist organizations and commentary outlets today tend to be focused on either struggles to defend the social programs established in the post-war era, pursue most of the same cultural changes to expand the autonomy of the underprivileged sought by liberals, or muse about the achievements of anarchists and other libertarians of the past. It's rare to even see anarchist speculations on new ways we could organize a libertarian socialist world. For example, incorporating new ideas from frontier disciplines like cybernetics, robotics, bioengineering, or ecological science. Just as Kropotkin and Bookchin incorporated the latest scientific and technological ideas into their analysis. We need to reinvigorate that thought injecting a fresh dose of techno-ecological utopianism into it. We need to feel less afraid to make ridiculous claims of how awesome and fantastical we want the rest of the 21st century and beyond to be. We need to take seriously a certain oft-repeated meme from the French general strike and student uprising in 1968. Be realistic. Demand the impossible. That's why I'd like to sketch out the fundamentals for something I find to be fatally lacking within contemporary social anarchism. A hopeful, reinvigorating, inspiring, and realistic future vision. Imbuing anarchists and other libertarians with a, both a trajectory of where we ought to be going and a renewed drive for getting us there. Anarchism and Futurists. To clarify things a little, let me define what I mean by futurism. I use it here to refer to a special kind of vision of the future, which is more detailed and normative than a mere notion of how things could turn out beyond the present, but less mapped out than a blueprint such as the late Jacques Fresco's Venus Project. In other words, a general template of the future based on a certain set of values and features. In this sense, almost all of classical anarchism has had, had its own unique futurism guided as it was by a desire for a new order in which the state gave way to free confederations of autonomous communes, productive resources were placed in the hands of all and managed by those who worked them, technology was repurposed to increase well-being and reduce toil rather than increase profits and reduce the power of labor, and a culture of gods and masters gave way to a culture of free individuals and mutual cooperation. With regard to the now more defining features of futurisms, technology, as early as 1880, in his essay Communism and Anarchy, Carlo Caffiero speculated that as technics advanced to the point 
where production began to outstrip consumption and toil was eliminated through labor automation. The old commons maxim from each according to their ability to each according to their need would evolve towards a new maximum of abundance from each and to each according to their will. Social anarchist futurism could be said to be characterized by a desire to expand the scope of will relative to the scope of toil. But this was not rooted in the kind of naive technological determinism so common in Marxism, in which technological advancement is always necessarily progressive. The social anarchist assessment of techniques, techniques and technologies was one of continual critique, emphasizing the need for technologies which made labor pleasurable rather than rote and designed so as to maximize local self-sufficiency, direct participatory control of the productive process, and decentralist organization. Anarchists welcomed new technologies when they enhanced self-determination, with Kropotkin being enthusiastic about the invention of greenhouses and washing machines, but attacked the brutal and centralist systems of mass production loved by both market capitalists and state socialists. Lewis Mumford, taking many cues from Kropotkin, later developed an analysis of technical development as libertarian as any devised by a self-defined anarchist, stressing the need for democratic techniques relative to the authoritarian techniques lauded by both Western industrialists and Soviet bureaucrats. Murray Bookchin, in turn, followed both Kropotkin and Mumford in his theories of liberatory technology, adding an ecological dimension to anarchist futurism. Bookchin not only called for a technics of human-scale direct participation, decentralism, and local self-sufficiency, but an ecological technics which generated energy from renewable, restricted, and mended the rift between humanity and non-human nature. Note for the readers, I'm reading this exactly as it's written, and that was, in fact, a fucked-up typo. While Bookchin and others in his Institute for Social Ecology experimented with new forms of ecotechnics from an anarchist perspective in the mid to late 20th centuries and produced scholarly critiques of more centralist future visions, such as those of Buckminster Fuller, the initial optimism of the 1960s and 70s gradually faded into a more pessimistic view of the future as the century grew closer. <sighs> gradually faded into a more pessimistic view of the future as the century drew towards a close. With the triumphalism of neoliberal capitalism taking over the social imaginary from the 90s onwards, there seemed to be fewer and fewer anarchists interested in new technology and using it to build a brighter future, save for a few important exceptions in those who became early adopters of the internet and free software as an important tool for decentralist organizing and establishing global connectedness but even this seems to have declined as of late. In the meantime, a handful of radical leftists have stepped in to recreate what Bookchin and others called post-scarcity anarchism, but sadly, without the anarchism. Marxists such as Nick Schrenek and Alex Williams have offered some compelling suggestions in their book Inventing the Future, calling for such things as full automation of all toilsome labor and the common ownership of the means of production. Through their vision, Though their vision is too mired in too much of the same old statism and centralism which has always plagued Marxism as a tradition. The same goes for the fully automated luxury communism memed by Aaron Bastani and his friends at Novara Media. Full automation and common ownership of technologies won't be that liberating if control over those technologies remains in the hands of the state 
most likely a new state form directed neither by capitalist nor traditional bureaucrats, but a new techno-bureaucracy composed of technicians, engineers, scientists, and other monopolizers of skills, knowledge, and techniques. The savants Mikhail Bakunin warned of in God and the State. This is why it's vital to restate and reestablish a specifically social anarchist futurism, to steer not only all futurisms, but the radical wing of futurism away from centralism and hierarchy, underpinning its aims with an ethos of anti-authoritarianism, decentralization, and individual autonomy. If the long-term goal of social anarchism is freedom and well-being for all, then what technologies should anarchists seek to develop and adopt? They would, ideally, be technologies which were ecologically sound, using solar, wind, wave, and geothermal energy, rather than oil or gas to generate electricity, human scale, and build for local production rather than mass production, capable of ensuring a large degree of self-sufficiency in consumables at the local level, and designed so as to bring about the maximum degree of direct control by users and horizontal cooperation in the process of production. In other words, they should be consistent with the aims of Peter Kropotkin's hypothesized science of meeting human needs, social physiology. Meeting the maximum amount of needs in the shortest time using the minimum possible amount of energy, including human labor. None of these things are fantastical dream inventions which exist only in science fantasy. All of these things exist right now. At the time of writing, they remain in the hands of a few nerds and specialists. But imagine if they not only proliferated, but their use organized via social libertarian methods. That is, through community stewardship, cooperative enterprises, and horizontal participatory control by free producers. Kevin Carson does a wonderful job of documenting their existence and potential uses by anarchists in his exhaustive studies, The Homebrew Industrial Revolution and the Desktop Regulatory State. They include free and open-source software, open-source hardware, small-scale fabrication laboratories, micro-manufacturing, 3D printing, and countless examples of commons-based peer production online. Most of these liberatory technologies already have an innate tendency towards centralist and participatory usage, given their human scale, relative simplicity, and operations which don't require a strict division of labor between specialist technicians and workers carrying out rote instructions, as well as eliminating labor where possible. Imagine, for example, getting up in the morning and being able to walk into a fully automated supermarket with a roboticized vertical farm overhead where all the food is grown, and being able to take any goods you like without any money being exchanged, while computers keep track of demand and supply levels, so as to figure out what to grow and how much of it to stock. Then you could walk down to your neighborhood center, located where the gaudy shopping mall used to be, filled with creative teams of local specialists in fabrication and repair, using decentralist techniques to make everything from computers to home appliances to works of art. Their work and tools no longer hindered by the artificial scarcity of intellectual property laws and distributed on the commons principles of to each according to need, or at most, trading favors. This is a brief glimpse of what a libertarian technics could look like in a future economy of the commons though it's one we'll likely never see if the route of technical change isn't directed away from the statist and capitalist imperatives towards centralized control and mass production. Useful for making weapons and surveillance, but not so useful for meeting human and ecological needs. What social anarchists need to do in response to this changing technological milieu is get serious about the course of technological development, 
actively push it in the direction of ecological design, decentralism, smaller scaling, and participatory control. We can't just take over the ecocidal, centralized, and bureaucratic infrastructure of the capitalist state system and expect to make it run according to worker self-management. Authoritarian techniques can't be made to run according to libertarian logic. Culture. New worlds have to exist in the social imaginary before they exist in recognized reality. Before a thing can be actualized through a society's megapolitics, it must gain credence through the society's infrapolitics. Infrapolitics, infra coming from the Greek under, refers to forms of social action which are not usually counted as political, but have political resonance through their effects and affects on people's thoughts and behaviors. Infrapolitical struggle refers to the ethical, aesthetic, spiritual, and intellectual fights to alter the mental and behavioral composition of a culture, which in turn has a long-term effect on the composition of the political and economic system. Looking back at the classical anarchist and libertarian socialist literature of Peter Kropotkin, Elise Reclus, Emma Goldman, William Morris, Oscar Wilde, and others, it was brimming with flowery expositions of culture, would be invigorated by a libertarian social order, with the arts ceasing to be the preserve of an intellectual elite and instead becoming suffused into the lives of the common people. The drab and brutal architecture which coated working class life would give way to beautiful and ornate streets, mixing the ecological with the technical and the ancient with the modern. The best of painting would no longer be confined to professional galleries, but adorn public areas. Every individual would become, in a sense, an artist a sculptor of their life in communion with others. As Herbert Reed put it a few decades later, we can assess the artistic worth of a society by the aesthetic richness of its most functional objects, pots and pans. The good society of the future would be one in which its culture, in the high art sense of the word, ceased to be a distinct domain of life and became an integrated feature of everyday reality. This is the kind of cultural transformation we should seek to bring about, one in which the functional and ornamental principles are fused, where the line between economical and aesthetic choices becomes blurred, and as the orientation of both is geared toward continually increasing the biopsychosocial well-being of people and planet. While social anarchists have always had a presence in arts and culture, from early modernism to experimental theater to hippiedom to punk to alternative comics to science fiction literature, this has, for the fo most part, been in the form of individual anarchists using art to explore alternative states of being on a personal level, rather than growing a mass cultural presence across media and artistic mediums. With the aim of transmitting specifically anarchistic values and images of what things ought to be like, that's what we need to do in order to gain the high ground in the infrapolitical arena. One of the most promising developments in this regard has been the birth of solar punk subculture in the early to mid-2010s. Solar punk, with its name being a cute spin on both cyberpunk and steampunk, evoking solar power and thus ecological consciousness, is an aesthetic and cultural scene which responds to the social and technological questions posed at the start of the 21st century in much the same way steampunk responds to the social and technological questions posed at the end of the 19th century, with both asking, what if society and technology took a different route? Steampunk rejects the actual future that happened in favor of a fantastical future 
filled with democratized technologies and anti-authoritarian sky pirates fighting the forces of empire. Solarpunk, in turn, rejects the hypothetical cyberpunk future in which states and corporations rule an even more dispossessed populace in an ecologically devastated landscape. Instead, it imagines the future we might have if we took the very alternative route which lies before us now. Replacing states and corporations with free federations of communities and cooperatives using decentralist and ecological technologies to create a world beyond economic scarcity and social hierarchy, defined by autonomy, mutual aid, diversity, and inclusiveness. At present, Solarpunk is quite small, with only a few short story collections and a moderate online presence of artists and hobbyists. But its potential as soil for growing a larger libertarian counterculture whose general orientation is eco-futurist, more than makes it a worthwhile avenue for anarchist focus. With the imaginary universes underpinned by our increasing reliance on the internet becoming a bigger and more important aspect of our lives, in particular among the younger generations, anarchists need to pay more attention to the infra-political aspects of social struggle, rather than dismiss them, as many do, as mere window dressing relative to real practice. Action. It can't be emphasized enough that social anarchists placing a renewed emphasis on cultural transformation should not be taken as a call to place less emphasis on economic or political transformation. If anything, a richer version of the future should re-energize anarchists and libertarians organizing in workplaces, communities, and civil struggles. Let's divide social anarchist practice into two rough families of approaches. Combat anarchism and venture anarchism. Combat anarchism refers to acts of insurrection and struggle, typically mass insurrection and class struggle. Venture anarchism refers to acts of exodus and creation, typically exodus from the dominant system by way of living off-grid or adopting an anti-systemic lifestyle, and creation in the forms of building non-hierarchical settlements or enterprises or artistic and technological creations. Both are necessary, but successful action means knowing how much of one or the other to employ in a given situation. In the last few decades, anarchists have perhaps placed too much focus on what's wrong in the current world we're fighting against, for understandable reasons, and not enough on the kind of world we'd like to replace it with. In other words, we've had too much combat anarchism and not enough venture anarchism. We need to appeal to people with discourse and optics which stress the positive features of the alternatives we want to build, emphasizing the values of caring, vitality, cooperation, and creativity, and toned down without dispensing with the discourse and optics of revolt, struggle, attack, and negation. To repeat, we need both, but as of now, we need to alter the balance to favor the politics of creation. And in practice, a renewed politics of creation means putting greater energy into building alternative associations to those of the state and capital, then linking those associations together, a feat which is made easier than ever given the instant and costless communication between nodes of a free federation made possible by the internet. Most people can't, as of present circumstances, picture a far-off future beyond scarcity and hierarchy. What they can picture is an immediate future which contains more of the kinds of things they can see for themselves in the everyday operations of anarchistic associations which help them in their daily lives, such as participatory budgeting programs, popular assemblies in neighborhoods, worker cooperatives, free and open source software and hardware, 
online groups of peer producers, and horizontal networks of cooperation between all of the above. And all of the above is what we need to get working on, in addition to existing labor and territorial work in workplaces and communities, and issue-based activism on all other fronts. Thus far, I've avoided giving specific recommendations due to the need for individual anarchists to tailor a general vision for their particular circumstances. But I believe the following projects deserve to be highlighted. Infuse workers' struggles with an analysis of the most sensitive pressure points to attack in the emerging platform capitalism, and develop new and effective methods of worker organization for fighting the so-called gig economy of precarious employment. Establish a strong social anarchist foothold in the platform cooperativism, free and open source, peer-to-peer, anti-copyright transition towns, and commons movements worldwide. Tie community movements together through social media using communication technologies like video chats to coordinate between different sites of participatory decision-making, such as popular assemblies, linked together into free federations of communities. Demand municipalization of resources, especially energy utilities and land, as an alternative to both nationalization and privatization, making ownership both communal and local. Then demand the enterprises making use of these resources are cooperatized, being restructured to operate through worker self-management. Demand the devolution of local government powers to open and participatory assemblies in neighborhoods, giving them control over the allocation of public investments in infrastructure, housing, healthcare, entertainment, and everything else. Use new media like web videos, blogs, free ebooks, and podcasts to create easy access points for newcomers learning about social anarchism, as well as cultivating online and informal academia and anarchistic counterintelligentsia to serve as thought leaders and intermediaries with the public. Get active making and promoting social anarchistic and eco-futuristic works of art, entertainment, and culture, sowing the seeds of a new kind of society in the minds of people through fiction and recreation, while also growing a vibrant anti-authoritarian counterculture. Revolutionary movements which trace their lineage back to the 1800s tend to have a view of social transformation as an apocalyptic rupture, a violent and sudden cataclysm which tears a society away from everything which came before and puts something radically new in its place. A view no doubt conditioned by the so-called bourgeois revolutions of the 1700s, in particular the American and French examples. With numerous attempts to enact this model in the 20th century, the results have been a mixture of state socialism and post-colonial capitalism. In all cases, swapping one set of rulers for another. Only one, the Spanish Revolution of 1936, got its society anywhere closer to social anarchy. Narrators note, they also fucking lost. People keep bringing that shit up. They fucking lost, man. Span Spain was fucking fascist till fuck you. Anyway, Elise Recluse was correct in seeing evolution and revolution as two parts of the same process of transformation. The former being the slow and gradual buildup of small changes, the latter being the rapid and radical shift from one set of conditions to another. Both matter. And transformative social movements have erred when and where they've seen change as a choice between the two, rather than the most apt selection of how both evolution and revolution should be pursued. It's no longer sensible to believe, as past generations of anarchists did, that social anarchy will come into being after a single definite event 
in the form of a popular uprising, even in a single location. There's no doubt there'll be moments of sudden rupture with what came before, and most of these will involve popular uprisings of some kind, but there won't be an identifiable before and after in which we can call what came before as archist and what came before as came after as anarchist. <coughs> Nor will those movements, which push us in the direction of social anarchy, call themselves anarchist, at least not in their primary name. As of right now, they call themselves anti-authoritarians, municipalists, syndicalists, peer producers, democratic confederalists, earth defenders, movements for the commons. Anarchists must be a part of them, pushing to help them in a more consciously libertarian direction from within. What drives, both, what drives both those movements and the anarchists within them must not only be their immediate and short-term goals, but an animating vision of an ecological, decentralist, libertarian, egalitarian, and cooperative future. Not as some prefect and pristine... Not as some perfect and pristine image which can never be replicated in practice, but as an ideal which we continually strive to approximate, a practical futurism. As of 2018, we face some dire circumstances. Ecological degradation at the hands of the capitalist state systems, unquenchable thirst for growth, the continuing centralization of wealth in the hands of an ever smaller number of dominant owners, and cultural reaction at the moves of marginalized groups for greater freedom and inclusion. Despair may be an understandable reaction in the face of such all-consuming set of problems, but is not only counterproductive, it's mistaken. It's mistaken because when you look at all the possibilities, there's just as much rational justification for hopefulness. Given the cacophony of competing futurisms, many authoritarian, some libertarian, most somewhere in between, social anarchists need to steer the futurist conversation in a more libertarian and egalitarian direction, calling for the fruits of technological enrichment are both shared by all and directed by all from the bottom up. We need to suffuse the social imaginary with a future vision rooted in the ideal of the commons, decentralized cooperation, and in libertarian management of those commons. At the same time, we need to put that vision into practice through continued combat against the forces and relations of rule, as well as new ventures to creatively generate and sustain alternatives to them. Sometimes this will involve working specifically as anarchists among other anarchists, guided by a general agreement on ideas and tactics. Other times it will mean working within broader popular movements and projects among non-anarchists, trying to steer them in a more anarchistic direction, away from centralism and towards free cooperation. It will be hard going, and most of us probably won't see a fully realized anarchist world within our lifetimes. But if we keep that vision of a world beyond domination in our minds, every step that we take towards that ideal will be at least a step in the right direction, making our universe a little bit freer and a little bit more caring in every moment. <laughs>